I actually haven't really told anybody this. It's a weird, um, it's a weird encounter. But I remember sitting in my room and I was crying and praying and very, very upset. And I just remember like a warm glow. And I know, even though I didn't see a face or anything, it was more like just a presence, but I know it was Jesus. The Profile with Premier Christianity magazine. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Howes, editor of Premier Christianity magazine. And this is the show where we sit down with a different Christian each and every week and find out something of their life story. My guest on the show today is Natasha Hemmings. Her sound has been described as a cross between Kate Bush and Catherine Jenkins. She's a classically trained vocalist and about to release a new album entitled I Am, which sees her delve into a more pop sounding uh, set of songs. And the British singer who previously supported Russell Watson and Adler Jones on tour is on tour herself right now supporting Ronan Keating. And the new album is set to explore some of the darker sides of her experiences as a former Miss England through her lyrics. And so today we'll be finding out about Natasha's journey to faith, how she found God at 17, and why her Christian faith is such a huge part of her musical inspiration. Natasha, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you with us. So we like to start at the beginning. Tell me a little bit about life growing up. What was your childhood like? Um, well, I've always loved music. Music was always a huge part of my childhood. Um, I have a twin brother, so um, we were always sort of fighting for the limelight in our family, both being the same age. Um, and so, yeah, I, I always um, knew that I wanted to do music. I would put on shows for the family, sort of make little tickets for them to come and watch me. Um, and then when I was about seven years old, my biological father walked out on the family and including me and my brother. And that was a more of a sad time in my life. But um, then my my mum remarried and my I call him dad now. My stepdad became um, became everything I wanted and hoped for in a dad. And I feel very lucky to have had that experience. And uh, my new album sort of talks about all these these topics and these things that I've experienced in my life as well. Uh, music's always been there as a way of me expressing and outletting things that are going on, things that perhaps we don't talk about or that I don't feel like sharing. Um, I'm always able to share it through my music. And then um, when I was um, going into school, I knew again, I, I wanted to be in the choir, I wanted to do music. I was lucky enough to get the music scholarship and about the age of 12, I was researching how I was going to be a pop star. You know, how am I going to do this? And I remember looking at Beyonce and she had joined a choir. She was part of a gospel choir. So I set out to join my local choir, which was actually a professional choir. Um, it wasn't gospel. It was just a classical choir. And the closest age to me was 38. Wow. <laughs> so, so funny. And I, I remember auditioning there. I was really scared. And the conductor of the choir was really, really good. And he sort of took me under um, his wing a little bit. He started giving me singing lessons before the choir rehearsals. So that was about four hours every Tuesday night that I would give up to learning. And that also introduced me for the first time to sort of Christianity kind of stories because I was singing um, like the Messiah and different things in these choir books. I was learning how to read music and I was learning all these themes that I didn't really know anything about. So that was um, sort of a small introduction there. I think classical music does have a lot of that kind of um, 
religious religious thing going on with it as well. Um, and then about the age of 14, I auditioned for the Royal Northern College of Music and was accepted as a junior, which is under the age of 18. I was there for four years, every Saturday, doing everything, uh, piano lessons, singing lessons, musicianship, theory, you name it, it was going on there. And I, I really loved it. It was my favorite day of the week on a Saturday going there. And and then when I finished that, um, finished my time there at 18 years old, about 18, 17, um, this is when I had this sort of dark period in my life because it was, um, it was I was doing my A-levels. It was time to decide what I was gonna do and where I was gonna go. And I didn't really know um, what my options were because as a classical singer going into opera, you have to wait for your voice to be at a certain maturity. So they don't take young singers really. Um, and they say 24 is a good age. So I had all this time and I was thinking, oh, what am I gonna do? And I was quite academic as well. So I thought, well, rather than just taking gap years, I will go and do a degree. I've got time to do a degree. So I was putting all my efforts into sort of getting the best grades that I could for, for my A-levels to give me the options that I wanted for university. And around that time, I was in um, a relationship and it just it went very south. Um, it was all sort of breaking up and around me all my friends because the person I was um, seeing was very popular all my friends started to crumble around me as well and I just I lost all my support network um and it was a strange feeling because I was older in my life as well and I didn't expect that to be happening and I didn't really feel as though I had anybody to turn to and I was so upset all the time emotional turmoil and all the pressure of the exams and I just remember um, the heartbreak and, and going down to the church um, near my school where we used to have like this, some assemblies at the end of end of year or whatever at this church. And I went down there and I don't, I don't know why. I was just sort of sat outside <laughs> hoping for some sort of like divine miracle or something. I don't <laughs> know. Um, but I did go inside eventually and, and somebody was there who, who could see that was very upset and sat with me and just was there really didn't really say anything push anything but just was there and it, I remember coming out thinking I'm so glad you know that somebody was just for that moment there and then when I went back um the one friend I'd had who'd, who'd kind of wasn't speaking to me at this time of all this turmoil and everything but she was a Christian and I remember reflecting back on things that she'd said and I thought oh I'm, I'm gonna start looking at this I'm gonna start trying um to see what all this is about and then i remember having my first experience which is i actually haven't really told anybody this it's a weird um it's a weird encounter but i remember sitting in my room and i was crying and praying and very very upset and i just remember like a warm glow and i know even though i didn't see a face or anything it was more like just a presence but i know it was jesus and he was in my room and he was at the edge of my bed and and then that that was it wow yeah i've always remembered that and it's it's give me strength when sometimes my faith is like wavering or i'm not feeling like i'm getting an answer to my prayers or whatever i just think well i had that experience and no he is there you know it's real you know it's, it sounds like there's a there's a few things that kind of culminated there you mentioned which i think is a great point the kind of christian background of a lot of classical music um there's there's the christian friend you mentioned 
And then there's that experience for yourself as well in your room where you felt that presence that you you knew was Jesus. And I suppose it's a culmination of a few things that led you to faith. Was there anything in your family background, any kind of Christian upbringing with, with your parents? I have been christened, but um, my parents don't practice religion. Um, we, we don't pray. We didn't read the Bible. We don't um, talk about it. My, my mum is always of the belief that there is a creator. And that's kind of how religion was in our family. You know, it's just acknowledging the fact that something made the earth. I had no idea that there could be a relationship. I didn't really understand what Jesus's role was in all this. And I, and I just, um, you know, I, I, I grew up in a lot of sort of debates as well at school where people would um, get into it and, in a way that was religion was very much made up to control society or you know jesus is somebody that uh, people have invented for this purpose or this purpose and that's really all i heard i never really thought about or saw or heard about this other side and it is um and i'm still learning i'm still learning but my my thirst for it was so much so that when i did my first year of uni i took a theology module because i just i'm fascinated by it fascinated by um by the bible itself and and how the books are all made up and where they came from and who wrote them and how how do we decide what's in the bible and you know the context of the text and how we're going to relate that to today and all that does really fascinate me but i think the fundamentals is that i've had that relationship that experience to know that god is real and and that's kind of the basis of my faith that I'm building on you know I know he's there I had that experience and also weird things do happen like I remember um a few years ago when again I you know I haven't had many friends since this happened because I I don't meet many people in what I do it's very solo sort of work um but my I was in a room my um a family member had had a new girlfriend and she saw me and when she left she said to um to her boyfriend there's something about um, Natasha, there's something about her eyes. And he said, oh, well, she's a Christian, isn't she? Like like you, she, he obviously knew she's a Christian. And she said, yeah, I knew it. And then we like the best of friends, you know, we've connected straight away. And it was just so strange to me that she knew from looking at me that I was a Christian, <laughs> like five seconds of speaking yes. to me. So yeah, God does definitely intervene and work in, in little ways that we, yeah piece together after the fact you know so tell me what what happened immediately after that that encounter um did did life sort of change immediately or um was was it a slow gradual thing you know what would you say the the difference or the differences in your life sort of before that moment and since that moment I think um honestly I got very obsessed um in that in that moment God was everything and I wasn't really even um, living in the real world I remember my mum being a bit worried about me because I was just constantly um, reading material that I could get my Joyce Mayer words of the day everything everything I could get I was listening to UCB I was um, just I I think it's because I was so sad in my with everything that's going on in my life that I couldn't really connect to that so I was just living in this kind of in this faith realm in a christian a christian bubble it sounds like christian bubble yeah and actually you know it did pop and i and i don't 
live in the Christian bubble anymore, which I'm sometimes a bit sad, but now I have to make the effort to do that. Whereas at that time it was all consuming. I didn't, it was the only thing that got me up in the morning. So it wasn't something I had to work at. It was just something I was constantly doing. Um, but yeah, it, it's never been the same since. It's interesting. I, I sometimes wonder if Christians don't talk about this enough and aren't more honest about it. I've seen this happen with friends where I think especially when they encounter God, not as a child, but as a teenager, young adult. And they have quite a dramatic experience of Jesus like, like you have. And it is amazing. And but, but I sometimes wonder if we, we're not honest. Or we don't talk about how for some people when they have that encounter, it is so dramatic yeah. that it can become a bit all consuming. And, and I can think of one friend who kind of understandably because the experience is so dramatic like all he could ever talk about for the next few months was Jesus and nothing he couldn't have a conversation about anything else yeah. and there is something about that isn't there? I don't know if that was exactly your experience but yeah. I think when something happens to us that's so dramatic we instantly become a bit of an evangelist for it which of course could be a really good and powerful thing but we can sometimes be almost a bit unbalanced when it first happens. I think definitely I was and also I felt like I really took on this message of the cross and I was like I'm, I've got to save everybody and I took it so seriously like it was it was too much and it was actually going to put people off so I'm glad that I didn't continue the way I was headed because yeah, I, I worried. I worried about my family because it was all new to me. You know, I was reading all these things and hearing, and everybody's got different beliefs. But, you know, all this stuff about if you're not Christian, you're not going to heaven. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're not going to heaven. And I was like, oh my word, you know, how do I get my family all to believe in Jesus? You know, I, I've got to save them all. And that, yeah, it was all consuming. And I just yeah. really took it very seriously at the time. Yeah. And I feel like I've, I have calmed down and, and my relationship with God is um is alongside my life in the real world as well yeah. which is I don't know if that's better or not but it's where I find myself today so um tell me a bit about what came next you I understand you studied was it English literature at university uh you mentioned you did a theology module so what, what came after that yeah so uh, after that really I had another sort of dark moment and I think it's just these years of um, sort of finding yourself and you are around a lot of people who are also trying to find themselves and we all don't know who we are at this point and what we're going to do with our lives and so there's a lot of sort of turmoil around that anyway university is a new place where lots of people who are still children you know we feel like adults but we're, we're still just just coming from school and getting thrown in to a very grown-up environment and it doesn't always go smoothly and I think this is something that people don't talk about everybody's always telling you university is going to be the best years of your life you're going to go and it's going to be you're going to make friends for life it's going to be amazing and I didn't have that experience so when I was there I felt I think that also made it worse because it wasn't meeting my expectations I got there and um I was in halls that were slightly removed from the campus they weren't in the main campus and I kind of fell in there was a there was one girl who I saw straight away and I was just kind of like locked on I was like that's going to be my friend because I I know somebody and it wasn't really a good fit um the group of friends had already sort of formed and I was like kind of an add-on and just naturally um it didn't work out they were sort of going down to breakfast without me or doing things without me and I hadn't got anybody else hadn't met anybody else so I just then started to get more and more reserved I was just 
staying in my room. I wasn't going out to the lectures. I was missing some of the seminars because I was getting more and more in my head about it, about sitting on my own or just being scared. I just became very scared to do it. Um, so the theology module was really good for me because it was separate to my course. So I was going and joining another course really for that like subsidiary module. And whatever people say about this stuff, it's just a very friendly atmosphere. You know, a lot of the people who are taking it are Christians. Um, the lecturer was Christian and they were just very, very kind. And I found it really um, intellectually stimulating. I always left like feeling like that was the thing I was looking forward to most of, of my time at university really was these few hours I did theology. So yeah, that says a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's good. It's good to hear as well. I speak to a lot of people. People have very, very mixed experiences of studying uh, theology in a, in a kind of mainstream secular environment. Um, I've spoken to people who've gone in as as very passionate Christians and come out of a theology course having lost their faith entirely, which which sometimes surprises people. There's plenty of other people like yourself who say actually it's really good at opening my mind to things I hadn't thought about before. Um, I speak to a lot of people who said they had quite a kind of closed idea of what counted as Christianity and of course like that really opened their mind to see wow okay there's Christians who believe slightly different things to me so it's it's good that that was such a positive experience a real, a real um under, not real understanding but sort of when you come to faith you are you are living on your beliefs and when you start peeling back the text of the bible and you're learning stuff in theology then you start to uncover things that perhaps rock it a bit because it's it's real life you, you're looking at real life things that happened and you're having to uh, people's accounts of things and some things are sketchy and some things don't quite add up but these are humans you know and and that's the nature of it what i found really reassuring was so much pagan text that really did back up you know parts of the bible there was so there was so many like historical um texts about the star of bethlehem people saw things you know that that was a that was fact people saw things um and i just think things like that um are good to, there's never it's never bad to learn or know things and it's it doesn't matter if it takes you on a journey that's I think what it's about i think for me because i didn't really have a concrete um idea of what christianity was about that has been easier if anything sometimes it makes me slightly nervous um like with joining a church I've, I've i've got one that i've been visiting um at the moment a few times but joining a church i found really scary because i i just felt like i was going to be an outsider or I, I didn't know things when they were talking about some of the terminology i was like whoa what's that mean <laughs> got no idea what that is um i didn't know if it was a reverend or a vicar or you know that stuff is just like you don't know as a fresh christian what the difference is, does it matter? Am I gonna offend somebody? And again, with being confirmed, so I know that I really, I want to be confirmed. I, I've chosen Jesus, I've chosen God, I've been christened, but I want to choose it for myself. Um, and I feel like at the moment, I don't know if I have that right to be confirmed. I've not been a member of a church for that long. You know, what are there rules? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, you're talking to the wrong person, I'm afraid. I've no idea what those are. <laughs> I wish I could help, but uh, I, I could point you in the direction of some great vicars who definitely could answer those questions. But if it, unfortunately, I don't have a, I don't have a say in such things, unfortunately. But if I did, I'd say, you, you know, as long as you, as long as you believe in Jesus, want to follow him, that's all that matters, as far as I'm concerned. 
Yeah, but it is interesting how how much you know um, can be scary about it when sure we want it to be so easy and open and free flowing. And yes, better. yeah. We don't want it to be like that. You've got to come church ten times before you can sit on the first row. I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's how it feels, you know. Well, I think it's such an important point, and I think you know Christian leaders need to hear that because. I have a feeling such things, they aren't necessarily deliberate. But as you say, I, I, my take on it is that those who've been Christians a long time, including church leaders, can sometimes forget what it's like to be a brand new Christian and to walk into a church. I've once heard someone describe it in a similar way to take the average Christian and tell them to go into a betting shop and place a bet. The average Christian would walk into a betting shop and be completely confused. They wouldn't know where to go, wouldn't know how to do it, wouldn't know what the protocol is, where they're allowed to stand, how to place a bet. And they said, that's how the average person feels walking into church. They don't know what the rules are. When do I stand up? When do I sit down? Who do I talk to? What am I allowed to say? How do I get involved? What am I allowed to get involved in? Yeah, no, exactly. That is is how it feels. And I think that's why I'm, why I'm still sort of a stranger to it. And, you know, that's on me. I need to uh, be more proactive and just just try and stick it out. And I'm sure I will gel in. But it is it is a deterrent sometimes, just the fear of it. Well, thank you for sharing so honestly. And I, I hope I hope the right people are listening to this. Uh, if you are involved in a church and you're involved in making your church feel more welcoming and open place, and I hope those words are helpful to you. So tell me a bit about um, Miss England. You are a former Miss England. How did that come about? Well, that leads on really from uh, where where I was just talking about with university. After I had that experience and I hadn't um, gelled and made friends, I was on the phone all the time to my mum. I was in a, a sad place. I was lonely. And she had seen an advertisement and she said, well, you need to do things to make friends. She was like, why don't you enter this, I'll enter you in this competition. It's a great way, I think, to meet people your own age. And she'd read about it and I was looking at it. And it was so different than what I thought it was. And this is a, like a really important thing to get across because so many people think that it's a modeling competition or it's just um, it's a beauty, just a beauty pageant. And actually, it couldn't be further from the truth of what it actually is. And there are still competitions doing that. And I'm not um, I'm not dissing them or anything. But this this was about charity um about being an ambassador about being a good role model for society for young girls um about being inclusive in your community there is so much that goes on there is a round for everybody so that everybody can show off their skills and feel accepted and feel you know feel good about themselves there's a creativity making your own garment there's a brains and beauty so they do like lots of quizzes and stuff for people who are really smart they do um, a sports round for healthy fit people you know it's all about health and fitness it's not about being skinny it's not about being one size or a model um and the winners are always very athletic you know um really really healthy people and then they have um the talent round which obviously i really enjoyed and the charity and so forth like it's huge 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 thing that just gives everybody an opportunity to excel and the amount of money and fundraising they do is incredible um, it's really life changing. It's changing not just here in the UK, but all over the world because we raise for Beauty with a Purpose, which is a brand that um, 
well not brand it's a charity but it it's raised millions and it's spent in every in every country in india getting fresh water they did a huge campaign for cleft palates they've done um, big things in, for autism in the uk building centers sensory centers it's a big thing to be a part of and on top of all that the girls also are are to have their own charity project that's dear to them so if i hadn't have been part of this competition, I would never have had um, an experience really in getting involved in charity. It wasn't something I really knew about. It wasn't something that people were talking about my age. And, you know, I look at the role models of today and the people that are in on social media that um, young girls are following. They aren't standing up and talking about um, animal welfare, ch you know, children's rights they're not standing up talking about the issues of the world they're not learning about these things they're not raising money for charity they're not promoting healthy body image you know and everybody's got all these opinions about what miss england is but in my eyes it's about empowering women and it's about finding an ambassador a real role model for young girls somebody that they look like somebody that they can relate to um somebody that wants to make a difference in the world and um, the biggest thing, thing for me was the current Miss England at the time was a doctor from Cambridge University. And she was a really um, sweet, kind person just wanting to make a difference. And I saw so much of myself in her and I wanted to be like that. And that's really why I was happy, you know, doing the competition and I saw it for what it is. And it's also given me so many opportunities. I, I went to Miss World and when I was at Miss World, I was able to see all these girls from all these different countries, you know, really diverse cultures. They don't even speak English. Some of them, the tribes had made their dresses for the Miss World final, they come from very poor countries, um, hadn't eaten with a knife and fork before. You know, there was a real variety and it's eye-opening and i really do hold the um experience very very highly in my memories because i wouldn't be the person i am today without that journey and, and, and what i learned from the competition and, and just being there really hey this is sam really hope you're enjoying this conversation right here on the profile podcast today could you do me a favor right now it will take you just two seconds to give us a rating and a review wherever you found this podcast just a couple of seconds to give us a rating is so so helpful it helps other people to discover the show as well so if you could do that we would so appreciate it so how, how did the competition work because i think as you say a, a lot of people will have an idea in their heads of of what miss england is but i'm sure most people haven't spent well no one spent the amount of time around the competition that you have given that you, you were part of it so help clear away some of the misunderstandings i think a lot of people would assume well it, it is a it's a beauty contest beautiful looking women and the most beautiful becomes miss england are, are you saying that's not that's not the way it actually works yeah, no that's not the way it works so the first thing you're you're kind of because i've judged the competition as well so it's kind of um, first filtered down, uh, narrowed down the, of the girls you're looking at by the score points that they that they earn on each round. So the charity, um, how how much you raise for charity will give you a certain amount of points, but also what you did to raise that money also gives you more points. So it's not about how much you get; it's what you did. You know, the hours you put in, the time. Did you educate people about the charity? What 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 charity are you supporting? All those kind of things. They all give you a certain amount of points. Then 
again in the sports round it's not about where you come obviously if you if you place really high and you get an award and everything you're going to have more points but it's about just turning up it's about because some people don't want to enter that round it's about turning up it's about promoting body healthy body image and you know just eating and exercising not trying to be just model thin or whatever all those things again get you points um the way you conduct yourself throughout the competition is really important you know they have like a zero tolerance for bullying um it's about us all getting on and being friends the way you treat the staff the way you hold yourself when you're talking on stage all these things give you a certain amount of points which are then which then help us to see who who we're looking at for the next bit really and then um on the night of the final where uh, you get dressed up and it might appear to be a, a beauty pageant because your your family are in the audience you're coming down the runway you get to sing or do a talent or whatever you're part of a show and then you get interviewed and um, that might feel like that but really at that point we already know who who we're looking at because we've had all those rounds to lead us to that point so then it really it just comes down to how how the, the girl on the night um, answers the questions it's as simple as that really you know why should you be missing and what, why is it important to you um what do you think the competition's about and what would you like to do if you were a role model in society it's those kind of questions that then we pick a winner and it's sad that we have to pick a winner but that's just the way you know the miss world is to send somebody on but i think everybody who's a part of it takes something away there's lots of girls who haven't won, who've been very, very successful off the, off the opportunities from Miss England and who've walked away with a lot of confidence and, and you know, um, it's life changing. And then the individual who wins, who gets to go to Miss World, they get then that next level of an, of an experience. Um, but no, it's not, that girl is five foot 10, that girl's and blonde, she, she's, she's better than this girl. It's not, it's not judge that way at all so how did it feel to to win uh win miss england and and how did it feel to go to miss world um you know for you personally having those two experiences what, what was it like it it was surreal when i won i really was not expecting it there was a lot of chatter uh, backstage that it was going to a certain per they'd already decided who it was going to which is the case of any competition is to think that it, there's a fix or something about it. So I kind of given up hope, but I was like, I'm still going to go for it. I'm still going to fight for it. And um, when I won, it was, I was shocked. I was very, very shocked and very excited and, and happy. You know, it was a great experience. It just felt amazing. I can't really put it into words. It was just amazing. And then I, I didn't really even know about this world. And then they were like, right, you're going to Miss World now. I was like, what? I just, I thought this was it. There's another competition. <laughs> yeah. um, and that was um, very like rushed. I had two months to prepare. Sounds like a lot of time, but it's not because you had to do dances of the world. You have to represent the, the nation with a dance. You have to, I had to do talents. I had to get my talent stuff together. I had to pack all the costumes because you have to have certain things for certain events. You're there for four weeks without um any family or friends or anything and i was only 19 so it was scary um to be going to china by myself and i grew up a lot that experience definitely taught me so much um going there first of all it was eye-opening there was a lot of poverty um in china and we saw the way they lived is so different so so different and there were guards outside the resort where we were staying there were actual army guards with with 
uh, guns because the area was so run down. But then there's extreme wealth, you know, which is strange when you're seeing it that close together. Um, but it, it made me grow, grow up a lot. I I saw the way the men treat the women out there is completely different. It's just a different um, culture again, you know. Um, women don't have the same rights as as the men out there, which is the way they they are. And was there something ironic in having a competition like Miss Worlds in a culture like that? Yeah, I think I think that the point of Miss World is that it's inclusive of all types of people. Um, and all their cultures and all the way that they, they choose to live their lives. You know, it's not it's not just a one fit thing. And Miss China was there and, and to China, it's a huge deal um, being Miss China and, and the same as Miss India. And they, they become millionaires when they win. It's a huge thing. I slightly wish that was the case for Miss England that you also have to become a millionaire overnight. <laughs> no, 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 not for me. But um, yeah, it's, it's different because of the way beauty is seen in that in that country perhaps or um yeah it is it's very very strange and it was very eye-opening so how did um how did that experience inform some of your new music so the hardest thing um i found about being a part of it was the way that people prejudged me all the time you know, people want to think that you're vain for being a part of a beauty competition. They want to believe that you're stupid because they, it seemed to be like a, a modelly airhead thing to do. They, when I talked about music, they would assume that I'd done Miss England and then decided to be a singer one day. And it was so frustrating. And I felt like I was always trying to explain myself all the time. Oh, no, you've got the wrong idea. That's not what it's about. That's not what it is. Um, and yeah, it was hard. And I, on social media, you know, I always found there was a lot of opinions coming through to me that I, I didn't ask for, I didn't do anything, I didn't say anything. But I would always get people just commenting, oh, you're not, you don't even look that good. Um, you know, we don't know why you won. Or just, you know, mean things for the sake of putting mean things. And for somebody of 19, you know, it hurt. I was absorbing a lot of it and I was doubting myself and then I just realized like there's a problem with society we prejudge things we put people in a box we we think we have an idea of something all the time on social media we're all putting our best lives out there we're putting the rose tinted glasses on and we are just showing people the highlights if it's even real many people are putting a, a fake life up there you know and we're all comparing ourselves and falling short. And especially the young, younger generations are looking at people that they don't look, they think, why, why don't I look like that? Why don't I have that body? Why don't I have that car? Why don't I have that amazing holiday? And we start to feel depressed with what we've got. It's not, we don't feel like we have enough. And I just feel, I just felt as though the true person is invisible. We're not connecting. We're not actually understanding who somebody is we're judging them all the time and that's why I wrote the song invisible um because I wanted to to actually explore this idea that if we if we were invisible for a day and nobody could see us nobody could judge us or say anything we weren't worried what they were going to think we weren't worried what we were doing how actually liberating that would be that complete freedom 
to just be ourselves and be happy with it just love ourselves the way that we are um without comparing or anything and and i just thought that would be a really happy song and that would be an important message and so that's that's what inspired me to write invisible a strange thing happened today about social media and I think something pretty much everyone can relate to that issue of we're putting putting the highlights out there but also there can be a lot of nastiness a lot of judgment a lot of bullying is there anything you do with your social media presence deliberately or even things you don't do with your social media to try and show a better way or take into take that into account you know is is it something you're particularly mindful of because of your own experience and some of some of the hate that was sent your way when you were Miss England yeah definitely um so there was a while where I, I didn't really know how to handle it. I was just sort of, um, I don't know, I would delete the picture or I would just get a bit frightened that I was getting this kind of confrontation. But now I'll just, I've noticed that sometimes I'll, I'll just go on and look at that person just to put a face to it. So it's not like this scary, I don't know, we think it's like some scary thing that's attacking us and I'll see like just, it's just a woman, <laughs> just some woman out there just like living her life and I'm like okay not everybody's gonna like me that's fine she doesn't know what I'm about that's fine I just kind of talk rationalize it and talk myself through it it's not this person doesn't hate me because they don't know me it's fine and then I'll just sort of delete that comment because what I found is if I respond I'm getting into it and there are times where I want to you know there are times when I remember I was um go into a christening my niece's christening and I put a picture of me in a dress and somebody said I hope you're not wearing that to the christening and I just wanted to to reply and say thanks for being concerned what I'll be wearing but I didn't and I think it's important not to retaliate yes even though it's hard it's hard yeah yeah so I do just delete the comment but I've also found that if you don't then more people snowball onto it yeah so um hate brings more hate for sure so it's better to just get rid of it um but you know I don't feel like I've got the right answers on this either because I'm still trying that's why music is so important for me because I'm allowed to be so honest and so raw through my music and it's harder to do it on social media this is very like real fear of being cancelled or saying the wrong thing you know that's the biggest thing in today's world is there's not really a tolerance to make a mistake you can't make a mistake say the wrong thing and then you're you're done for so um i have to be very very careful about how i'm gonna do it and i think i hope that i get more and more truer to who i am on my platforms but that i think that will take time because there's a very much sort of idea of what socials is about and what you are sharing and what you're supposed to do yeah. so i guess over time hopefully i'll get better at it 
I think everyone's still learning how we navigate this brave new world of social media. It is in that sense, such a, such a new platform. And as you say, there's, there's all sorts of minefields um, when it comes to how best engaging with it, but. No, and I don't think it's a one fit size all said that completely wrong, but you know what I mean? It's not, it's not an easy thing to, like you say, to navigate. And I just, we just have to take each, each day as we come and each, moment on social media and assess and is it bad for our mental health you know are we being affected by it then it's it's really that's not okay maybe remove yourself take some time um it's difficult if you've got to be on there for work purposes or you know you feel for your brand or your company whatever that you've got to be on there but i think the the biggest thing to remember is not to take it personal because it's actually not as much as it's you up there and it's it, it is you it isn't you. It's just little tiny snapshots of you. You are so much more. If you took, if you only existed as social media, what are you? Absolutely nothing. If you took that out of your life, you're a whole person. So it's important to remember that. You know, tiny snapshots. It's not who you are. So people can't. They shouldn't be able to tear you down on there because it's not. It's not really who you are. Holier than thou. Radical. Delusional. Ignorant. Perfect. It's time to challenge stereotypes about Christians, and Premier Christianity is leading the way. Transform your perceptions, broaden your horizons, open your mind to wide-ranging views. Read interviews with politicians, theologians, and TV presenters. Discover the breadth of the Christian spectrum. Be provoked, react, inspired, and informed. Get the print magazine and full online access for just £4.95 a month. Subscribe today at premierchristianity.com. Premier Christianity magazine. The bigger picture. You've given a couple of examples already of how the more difficult times in your life has kind of positively influenced your music and how you've had the idea of a song out of out of a difficult point in life. Is that is that quite common for you or where does your inspiration come from when it comes to sitting down and writing? Yeah, um, the way the way I write music really is kind of backwards. I always start with the music. I think this has come from classical background and just being very into instrumental music as well. And I will always start with um, chords, the key progression, the key, the chord progressions, and just kind of building my my song. And then I'll also go into writing the parts for all the instruments. I really like to be very involved in the whole sound. So really, when I come to sit down and write melody and lyrics, there's a whole score already written. And that usually evokes a feeling or an emotion or a memory. I'm, I'm very involved in that musical sound and it's, it will be calling to me and it will be sort of saying, okay, this is, this is really a piece of music that if it was a story, it's, it's talking about that moment when your dad left or it's talking about that anxiety that you felt about the social media or it's, It'll, it will speak to me in that way. And that's really where the story or the, the message or the memory is that I'm going to share comes from. So it's inspired by the music that I write first, which is weird. I don't know why I do it like that. <laughs> Sounds good to me. I mean, hey, whatever works at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah. As I say at the beginning, you're currently on tour, aren't you, with Ronan Keating, I believe. Yeah. Um, so that must be special to get back to live music after two years away where you know very very little if any live music was allowed to take place um what's it like being back in a room full of people it's so 
so nice. You, you don't even realise how how much um, interaction with people is important um, for every for our everyday life. You know, we've been so used to being locked away, and we've got comfortable with it. You know, I've got comfortable with you know Zoom calls and uh, not really having to leave the house for things. And it was, you know, it almost felt like a lot. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm going to be on the road. I'm going to be out of my home for this whole time. I've been stuck in my home for weeks, you know, months and years. So yeah, it's like, it's weird um, getting back into that. But also, you know, I just can see people lighting up, you know, all connecting and socializing and enjoying live music. It's, it's not even just about the music. It's just about all being there together. And there's an energy that, that they are giving to me and that I'm giving to them in that moment that is just um, priceless and I've really missed it and I it's sad that it's taken so long for us to get back to it but I'm, I'm just lucky that we're able to do it again really. Absolutely and I, and I was going to say as well I remember when Covid first happened there was a lot of really concerned voices in the in the arts industry in the UK and the music industry saying look government we need support here or there's not going to be live venues to come back to or there's not going to be musicians able to make a living from music anymore because their entire effectively their entire work dried up overnight and there was no, no income did those sorts of questions impact and affect you in terms of just being able to do what you do through that covid period i think um yeah it definitely impacted me because the, the tour moved um three or four times it, it kept moving and every time it moved it's like oh, okay that's another year that's you know well it's half a year but it, then it was a year, then it was another half of a year, then it was two years, it's been two years. And that's difficult to to keep um, the confidence that you're doing the right thing, that there's gonna be a career um, for you, that people are going to, like, you know, the, the tour moving that far away, are people still gonna be interested in coming to a tour? Like, uh, will, it, will it ever go ahead? Am I just waiting for the, these years are going by and then it's actually not gonna happen? I had a lot of fears about that, you know, and what and what do I do if I'm not doing this? This is what I've chosen. This is what I love doing. Um, but I just really sort of knuckled down on what I could control, which was writing, um, getting an album ready. You know, I, I used that time um, to just be alone and really hone in on my craft and practice and, and work on my skills. I, was, I always have vocal lessons still even now. So I was continuing to do that through COVID as well. And I think that's sometimes what we have to, to do is just face face reality and then learn how we are going to navigate through it in the best way for us so that we are still taking steps towards our goal. So that's what I, I try to do. Well, it's paid off. As I say, you've got the album release on the way. You're currently on tour. But Natasha Hemmings, thank you so much for talking. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Sam Howes and you have been listening to The Profile Podcast. Really hope you enjoyed that interview. There's loads more where that one came from. Over 200 interviews with different Christians from all walks of life available now on The Profile Podcast and new ones coming each and every week. If you have been enjoying these interviews, we would so appreciate it if you could take just five seconds to give us a rating and a review wherever you found this podcast. It helps other people to discover the show. So why not do that now? Give us a rating and a review and we'll see you next time.